Thanks for being out today. It's good to be with you all. Glad to be back together again and thankful for truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible is truth. And it's clear from the scriptures, though, that all of the Bible is truth, not just parts of it. There are some in, our, in the religious world today who want to tell us that the Bible is not all truth, that there are some parts of the Bible that aren't valid anymore, that they're not truth. But the Word of God is truth. All of it is truth. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, The entirety of your Word is truth. All of this that we have, cover to cover, is truth. All of it's truth. And that's because it's all inspired by God. That's what Ben just read for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So this is truth. All of it is truth because all of it is inspired by God. So then we understand that the Scriptures are important. All of them are important. And it's easy for us to understand that the scriptures are important in verses like John chapter 3 or John chapter 8 verse 32. John chapter 8 verse 32 says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth will make us free. Verses like John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is truth and we understand that. We understand Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love the na your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. We understand these passages to be truth. Things that are important for us to understand because they are from God's Word and they are inspired. But I'm afraid we don't apply that to every passage. This morning I want to look at with you at a passage that we might skip. A passage that we might get to and just pass over and not pay much attention to it. But I want to tell you all the principles we talked about God's Word this morning, about the fact that it is true, that it's inspired from God, that it's important. It applies to passages like Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I'm not going to read this passage with you, but if you would turn here. I'm not going to, I'm, we're going to read it as we get to it. I'm not going to read it all here at the beginning because... There are a lot of hard names in this passage, and I don't want to uh, ha have you laugh more than just once. So you can laugh when we get to them, as I pronounce them wrong. But there are important lessons from us from this passage at the end of the book of Romans that we've been working all the way through the book as we're reading along in our readings, and maybe we get to this passage and go, yeah, we're done. I'll tell you there's some important lessons in this passage that we might skip. This morning, I would like to look at you, look at them with you together. This passage is truth. It's inspired by God. And as a result, this passage is just as important to us as others. Romans chapter 16, beginning of verse 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a worthy manner of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. In these two verses, we learn a lot of important lessons. First off, we learn that we're family. We learn that we're brethren. Notice he commends Phoebe, our sister. We're brethren. When we say that we are brethren and we greet each other as brethren, 
We're saying that we're brothers and sisters. We refer to each other as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. When we do that, it means that we're family. We are family together. Do we stop and realize what this really means? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are in God's family. And as such, we should have affection towards each other. Affection that we would have in a physical family. We just got back from an over 1,000-mile round trip to be with family. And as we drove that 1,000 miles, there were literally millions of other people that we could have stopped and eaten turkey with. But we didn't stop because we wanted to be with family. There's affection there, isn't there? And we need to have affection towards each other as a spiritual family. And I realize that there's not always the kind of affection that there should be in a physical family because physical families aren't always centered on God's will. But spiritual families are centered on God's will. And we ought to have affection towards each other. In fact, that's what Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. We need to have kind affection towards our brethren. You're my brother and you're my sister. And as a result, we ought to have affection towards each other. Do we have that? Do we have that affection towards each other that we should have? You know, it's easy to let that slip. We get frustrated with each, each other, don't we? Because maybe we're difficult to be with each other. Maybe we have personality quirks. Maybe we have different interpersonal challenges. Maybe we have differences in opinions, differences in judgment. And that can make things difficult, but we have to have affection towards one another. We're brethren. We should never forget that we are brothers and sisters. We're of the household of God. We need to maintain that affection. Paul commends Phoebe, his sister. Notice what he also he says there in chapter 16. Look in verse 2. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Paul tells us here that saints need to be treated in a certain way. Our brethren need to be treated in a certain way. He commended her to them and encouraged them to receive her in a manner that is worthy of the saints. Saints need to be treated in a certain way. Having that brotherly and sisterly affection towards our brethren in Christ should cause us to treat others in a certain way. We should treat others with care. Other Christians would care, if for no other reason than the fact that they're Christians. And I've seen people, seen Christians treated in ways that wasn't fitting saints. You probably have as well. You've seen Christians insulted and mocked and ridiculed. You've seen Christians who were mistreated. You've seen Christians who were treated spitefully. Sadly, I'm afraid I've treated Christians this way in times past. We need to make sure we understand that saints need to be treated in a certain way. We have to treat others like we should. And notice, as a side note, 
who Paul is telling needs to be treated in a manner worthy of the saints? A woman. There's no difference between male and female in the church, is there? Now, there are a lot of people who would like to tell us that Paul was a male chauvinist. This passage and others shows us he's not, is it? He's wanting them to treat her in a way that was fitting for the saints. We need to make sure that we're treating all Christians the way that they should be treating. And part of that way that we treat others is that we serve them. Notice what he says about her. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe was helping others. 5 verse 13, others. Phoebe understood the principle of Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That familial bond that we need to have as Christians will prompt us to treat each other in a manner that is fitting for the saints, will cause us to be serving others as Phoebe was so diligent in serving others. Do we see this as our requirement? Do we see the requirement to serve others is a command from God just like any other command? Just as any other command is this command that we need to be serving one another. But we live in a world that teaches us that we need to be served, don't we? Our affluence has spawned the service economy where we can get people to serve us in anything that we want to be served in. Don't want to wash your windows? Hey, there's a service for that. You can get somebody to come and wash your windows for you. Don't want to do your lawn work, your yard work? There's a service for that. Don't want to clean up your car? There's a service for that. There's a service for anything because we want to be served in this society that we live in. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Grant getting somebody to mow his grass. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I want to tell you that we've got to be willing to get our hands dirty when it comes to serving others and taking care of the needs of others. God has called us to serve others, and we need to be doing that. Phoebe was doing that. We need to follow her example. You know, the work that this church does don't happen by themselves. The things that we're able to do together don't happen by themselves. We all have to be picking up a shovel, so to speak, and getting to work, serving each other in the church. You're not here just to be served. You need to be serving others. That's what Phoebe was doing. And that's what we need to be doing as well. There are many, though, who view the church as an organization that just exists to serve them. It's like we're consumers when we come to church we're like going to a restaurant where it's all about me and me being served. I just show up and I expect to be catered to and people take care of me. But that's not the way it is in the church. We're here to serve each other. And we need to make sure that we're not just interested in others seeing what our interests are and our needs are and being interested in that. But we need to be interested in their needs and taking care of them. Your brethren have needs. And your brethren's needs aren't going to be met by themselves. We have to be busy helping others. 
And it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a coordinated effort. It could be the simple things like a phone call or a text message or a note to express your concern. Phoebe had just helped. Didn't say what she had done. Paul doesn't say what Phoebe had been busy doing, but she had been a helper of many. She just helped. And that needs to be our attitude as well. We need to be helping. And wouldn't that be a great statement for us if Paul could write about us that he or she had been a helper of many? Wouldn't that be great? I'm afraid we overlook opportunities to help because we're looking for something big. We can help in small ways, just like Phoebe did. We can serve just by helping where we can. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13? In John chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. John chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. Jesus left us an example of how to serve others. And it can be the small things. It can be the menial things. That we need to be doing. John 13, beginning verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Simon said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What am I, I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For, so, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor that he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And we need to be taking care of our brethren's needs. We must be serving others. And there's something about service that we see in the next part of Romans chapter 16. Would you read with verses 3 through 3? Greet Priscilla... Romans chapter 16, beginning of verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own lives for my, or own necks for my life, to whom I not only give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. The next thing we know from this passage that we might overlook is that Serving others may require real sacrifice. Many times, serving others is not easy. There are times when it is easy to serve others. If you ask me to come over and run a chainsaw to help you out with some trees that have fallen down in your yard or 
you needed help with my tractor and I could hook up to my tractor and do some fun work with my tractor, I, I could get excited about that. But there's a lot of times when serving others is not fun and it's difficult. Aquila and Priscilla weren't having fun helping Paul, were they? They put their necks on the line. They put their neck out where it could get chopped off. Their life was at risk to serve Paul. That's how hard it was. And I'll tell you, as we serve others, it may require real sacrifice. It required real sacrifice for Priscilla and Aquila. And making real sacrifices is what we're called to do. You may have to sacrifice of your precious time. You may have to sacrifice money. You may have to serve in ways that aren't comfortable. Priscilla and Quilla had done that, and we need to be willing to do that for our brethren. Our brethren need it, and we need to follow their example. There's no sacrifice that's too great, is there? Priscilla and Aquila understood what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. You need to be willing to lay down your life for your brethren. Priscilla and Aquila were willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Yeah, I can, but I can bring you some lunch if you are hungry. I can do something pretty easy, but lay down my life for you? That's a different matter, isn't it? Serving others may require real sacrifice. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make real sacrifice in your service? There's something else that we learn from this passage in Romans chapter 16. Verse 5, that we just looked at, we're told to, they were told to greet the, the, the church that is in their house, they were to greet. Greet the church that is in Aquila and Priscilla's house. That tells me that small churches are important, aren't they? I don't know how big Priscilla and Aquila's house was. I highly doubt it was as big as the houses that we live in today. But even if it was, you can't get a real big house, a real big church in any of the houses that we're meeting, that we live in. I assume, and I would assume that that, that house would have, that church would have been pretty small. We would all like for this church to be bigger. And we're working to that end, aren't we? But lest we forget, and lest we get discouraged, we need to always remember that there have always been small churches. This looks an awful lot like a small church to me. There have always been small churches. We need to understand that those churches are important. They were important to Paul. And they were making a difference. And this church is important. And this church is making a difference. This isn't the only time that Paul mentioned this little church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, he did as well. He mentioned the church that was meeting in Aquila and Priscilla's house. This was an important group of Christians. Small churches are important. We'd like this church to be bigger. We'd like it to be bigger because that would mean more souls have been brought to Christ. And that more work can be done. But let us never get discouraged because this church is small. 
This church is making an impact. This church is important to God. And let us not worship at the feet of the big church. You know, there's a lot of people who really hold that big church up and sort of idolize it and use it as the standard. Well, they do that in the big church, so we ought to do that here. Or they teach that in the big church, therefore it must be right, and that's what we need to be teaching here. Let's not hold that big church up as a standard. Big churches aren't always right. Preachers at big churches don't always preach the truth. Little churches are important. And finally, we get to the part of this passage that I've been putting off, beginning of verse 6, because it has those difficult names. So let's wade through these difficult names, because there's some important things here to look at. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristopulus. Greet Tripina and Triposa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet my beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. Greet Asinicris, Phygelon, Hermas, Petrobos, Hermes, and the brethren who are with him. Greet Philogus and Julia. Nurus and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. What do we learn from this long list of hard names? I want to tell you, one thing we need to learn is that we're impacting others. Paul enumerates a long list of people here who had impacted him. And think about it. One of the most influential men of all times, the Apostle Paul, Without a doubt, one of the most influential men in all of human history. And who's he impacted by? Common Christians doing what they're supposed to do. They impacted Paul. What did these people do? We don't have any other idea other than what's written here. What did Mary do? She worked hard for Paul. How about Andronicus and Junia? Apparently they were a couple who was committed to Christ to the point of imprisonment. What about all these others? We don't know anything about them other than that they impacted Paul. And I want to tell you, we need to never forget that we are impacting others. You're impacting others by the way that you live. I'm impacting others by the way that I live. You can't avoid it. You are impacting others. I've impacted you, haven't I? And it's not just because I'm standing up here. I've impacted you with our interactions. You've impacted me by our interactions together. Every one of you. Even visitors that are here that we, or people that we come in contact with for just a few minutes have an impact on us. We impact others. We can't avoid it. And so we need to make sure that we're living in such a way that we're impacting others for good in all that we do. Romans chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. Romans chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We need to be encouraged to live in a way 
that is edifying to those that we're in common contact with. We're making an impact. And we don't have to do anything extraordinary to make an impact. Look back at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. What did Epineus do that was extraordinary? Nothing. Epineus did what anybody would do or ought to do when Epineus was presented with the gospel. Epineus believed the gospel, didn't he? He was the first fruits of that. Hearing the gospel and obeying it was an impact to Paul. Epineus made an impact. You, hearing the gospel and obeying the gospel, you reading the scriptures and doing what they say to do, that's an impact. You're impacting others by the way that you live. We need to make sure we're living in such a way that is an encouragement to others. Well, there are a lot of lessons from this passage that we might have skipped over. A lot of lessons here. We're family. Saints deserve to be treated in a, in a certain way. We need to be serving others, even serving others to the point of sacrifice. Small churches, churches like this one, are important to God and can make a difference. And we're impacting others by the way that we live. We need to make sure we're impacting them correctly. Many lessons to learn from this potentially overlooked passage. And it reminds us of the importance to be studying God's Word and to be open to what it's trying to tell us. Being open to the message that God wants us to hear from His Word and submitting our lives to it. Are you doing that this morning? Are you a Christian? You know, there's other passages here in the Scriptures that many people overlook. They don't overlook them because they have hard-to-pronounce names in them. They overlook them because they have things that are very easy to understand. They overlook passages because it doesn't teach what they want it to teach. They overlook passages because it doesn't harmonize with what they've been taught. It contradicts what they've been taught. And so they, rather than just reading these passages and submitting to them, overlook them. And that could be us this morning. Have we been willing to submit to what God's Word says in all areas of our life? Have we become a Christian? The Bible tells us we have to hear the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We have to believe what we hear. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And hearing the Word and believing it doesn't do any good unless we submit to it, does it? In fact, Jesus said we have to repent. Luke 13 verse 3, Except you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Jesus said. I've got to understand that I haven't lived the way that the Word tells me to live, and I've got to change from that. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. I have to confess my belief in Christ, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Confess my belief that He is the Son of God. And the Scriptures also tell me that I've got to be baptized in order to be saved. Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I can't overlook these passages. These are what God wants from me. Am I going to submit my will to Him in that area? And then I have to remain faithful. I've got to continue submitting to my God in everything that He wants me to do. And I tell you, I learn throughout my life other areas where I need to submit. That's why we come together to study God's Word, isn't it? So that we can learn. If we all had it figured out and we all were for us, so we can constantly submit to Him and be more and more like he'd have us to be.
How are you living this morning? Is there anything that we can do to help you spiritually? If there is, would you let us know while we stand and sing?